Hi, I'm Mike McMahon, and you are listening to The Greatest Track. My friends, the great experiment. Oh, the Lord, thanks. Thanks. Hit it. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The Greatest Trick. Trick. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star. Trick. Trick. The Greatest Trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You, you kind of, you, you kind of Shreked the name of our show a bit there. How? What is Shrekking? It sounded like you said Greatest Shrek. Oh, yeah. I guess I did. You know what? That show was on my mind because something was trending this morning on the internet that was like, hey, did you know Chris Farley was supposed to play Trek? Was supposed to play Trek, and he recorded 80% of his lines, and here's a couple of them and how that sounds in the movie. Whoa. People see me and they go, Ah! Help! A big, stupid, stinky, smelly, ugly ogre! I'm so scared! It obviously sounds great, because Chris Farley was great, but, yeah. Was he doing also, a Scottish accent? I mean, he he sounded more like Chris Farley than... Chris Farley doing a Scottish accent. <laughs> he sounded like he was doing normal Farley, which uh-huh. is abnormally funny in my mind. I've heard, Adam, that they're actually going to release that version of the film, and GoFobo has secured the rights to sell the tickets to it, so nobody's going to get to go see it. If it's anything I care about associated with GoFobo, I just know I'm never going to be able to see it. And that's too bad. It's too bad because also as of this morning, Star Trek roped their wagon onto the mighty GoFobo locomotive <laughs> with three whole employees, last I checked, doing another special event yeah. for one of the uh, biggest IPs in movies and television. It's sure to disappoint just so many people. Yeah, the... Uh... Our friend Brie Belke was texting us that she was trying to get tickets to a screening of uh, Star Trek the Animated Series in Tempe, Arizona, and had trouble getting tickets. I think she eventually secured them, but imagine. Imagine having a hard time getting tickets to anything in Tempe. <laughs> much much less a screening of Star Trek the Animated Series, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, you really need to, like, make as few speed bumps as possible for people to go see your live special engagement of Star Trek the Animated Series. GoFobo stands ready to do that. Our standards are just too low as Star Trek fans, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> we just take whatever they give us, like GoFobo and the Rio. Yeah. Although, like, these are all, like, third-party rinky dink operations like i feel like i feel like the people you have making, to hire someone yeah it's not like star trek can do it I, I feel like it's the reverse if you're a star wars fan right you get like an amazing theme park you get like like totally amazing third-party versions of the experience but then like they release a tv show or a movie and and the fans like go on revolt and like try and gather millions of signatures to get them to reshoot something it's as if fans of Star Trek are the lower decks mm. of fan cultures, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Folks, I'm a professional Star Trek podcaster. We're humble, you know. We don't even want that half of a pip added to our collars, you know? I want that pip. I want all the pips. <laughs> can I convince you to just take a piece of corn instead? <laughs> you can convince me of that too. Corn or pips. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad the Lower Decks is back. Do you want to get right into the episode that we came to talk about today? I really do, with a ton of gratitude for the Star Trek screener industrial complex for just dumping eight of them out on us. Yeah. Good job by them doing something right. I really appreciate when they dump them out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, me too. I would never ask. That's not nice. Well, now that they've been dumped out, Ben, let's describe what we saw on today's episode. It's Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 1, Twavix. <laughs> you know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. This is wrong! 
the Cerritos has pulled into the Portillo system. Is that was that right? Is everybody getting sport peppers on their hot dogs in this system? I was just in Chicago last weekend, and I had a big Portillo's conversation with a local. Oh. Because I was shocked. I was like in suburban Chicago, like 40 minutes south of the city, and I saw a Portillo's just like by itself, yeah. spotlit, with like a drive through <laughs> that was like the drive through line could only be uh, measured in in and outs as a, <laughs> as a unit of measurement. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. It was bonkers. And they were like, yeah, it's like that all the time. Even in the winter, it'll be like five below zero and wow. folks will be out there with their iPads taking orders from the drive through line. It That's is amazing. real sturdy. That's great. I mean, a slice of cake blended up into a milkshake is one of the few things that will truly warm your heart on a five yeah. below day in <laughs> rural Illinois. You get the small and it's 24 ounces of cake shake (laughs) they do not mess around uh so this is a super secret mission yeah a lot of redacted stuff on the ipad that she's looking at starfleet was unusually tight-lipped on the details redacted tends to mean dangerous most times that's what i was ready for yeah she doesn't like select the redacted text and see if she can copy it and do a new document though oh i like that trick Yeah, yeah i do too my wife is an attorney who occasionally has to redact documents, and I, I think that like the idea of that being a possibility is one of the things that keeps her up at night. Mm. Yeah, one of the many things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Boimler is going to be doing holodeck waste removal duty, and we all know what that means. Your odor will be repulsive. Yeah, a little bit of a retread of a what are our characters up to kind of scene here. Yeah, It's the bunks, and it's Mariner and Boimler talking about the division of labor for the day. And Tendi and T. Lin roll up. And this is a reminder that T. Lin is a real crew person. Yeah, T. Lin's on the show now. And uh, could not have been given a more opposite workplace partner than Tendi in just about every way, right? <laughs> yeah. T. Lin and, and Tendi on opposite ends of the vibes spectrum. Yeah. Like, I don't think Tendi would ever say that Boimler is going to smell repulsive. I don't think Tendi would ever say that Teelin wouldn't be a great work partner either. No. I, Tendi's excited about the whole thing. Teelin seems indifferent. <laughs> Logically indifferent, for sure. We cut over to the holodeck where we see Boimler getting to work and Ransom rolls in because he was just walking by. I don't feel like he was even there to do this, but he sees Boimler at work and he's like, hey, buddy, <laughs> chin up. It's not always going to be this way, this shit duty you're on. Yeah. It is my duty to both watch you do this duty and also convey to you that a promotion might be incoming. It's his duty to promote that booty? Yeah, it is. I I immediately went on StarTrek.com to see if an ensign at work sign was available for purchase. Oh, yeah. It's not. That's a great idea. It's not on there. But it's not, is it? No. I mean, this episode's not out as of this recording, so maybe maybe I just have to wait. Maybe I have to be patient. Yeah. I also thought this was a scene of suggesting what was to come. Uh-huh. Boimler spills a container of green juice on himself. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Does he become too vixed? I thought holodeck cleanup, that container was going to have white liquid in it, you know? Yeah. It can't often be green. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's aliens on the ship. Like, who knows what Andorian junk produces? I wonder if in the liquid waste material of the holodeck, it's like a rock, paper, scissors situation where <laughs> green defeats white. <laughs> it's like barbicide, oh, right? You, like, <laughs> like you stick all your white into the green tube and then the green just sort of enzymatically eats it up. It's the same stuff that's in a porta potty or like an airplane bathroom. Precisely, yeah. Ah, that's I what like it, it is. I like it. Yeah, so there's a, there's a promotion on the table Assuming Boimler makes it through this mission without fucking up on a historical scale. Right. (laughs) This being an episode of Lower Decks, you kind of doubt that's going to happen. Right. Okay, yeah. What are the odds of that? (laughs) The ship pulls up into orbit of this planet where there's a strange-looking space station. On FaceTime, we meet Belcho Tweakle, who is the curator 
historian and biggest fan of Voyager, second only to Brie Belke. How do you get to the name Beljo Tweakle creatively? <laughs> I feel like this is an inside joke in a writer's room to formulate this name. I wrote Beltro, like burping. Oh, I mean, great. If it is. <laughs> yeah, we don't get the spellings of these things. We never know. <laughs> yeah. That's how the whole Barnus Franks thing happened. We didn't know yeah. what that guy's name actually was for like three or four episodes. This is the raw materials we use to make hit songs on yes. Greatest Trek. Barnus Franks! Barnus They're very excited. Mariner specifically is very excited about getting to do some Voyager stuff. And uh, we get we get some beauty shots of the ship. It looks fucking great. Yeah, really does. It also confirms maybe the timeline we're working in here, right? Because in Star Trek Picard, Voyager was already a part of the Starfleet Museum at right. that one station. I don't believe this is that station. No. It didn't look the same, so I think it ends up in that station later on. Yeah. This is a different a different installation. We go to opening credits where uh the whale probe has been added to the space battle scene. Yeah. And uh I think like the poster for season 4 of Lower Decks is kind of based on the poster for Star Trek 4, so very fun. Very fun to see the whale probe uh rendered realistically for the first time. I love it. I love how it then extends its sleeping pill apparatus <laughs> through the bottom toward the end of this scene. Yeah, it's good stuff. Who do you got here in this fight? I oh, think Whale man. Probe is is really formidable. Whale Probe is not to be fucked with. Um, I think I, Whale Probe could kick the shit out of the Borg's cube. Are you interpreting it as a melee where it's kind of like every ship for itself or are like... Are, are, is everybody fighting the Borgs? Because initially it was just Roms fighting Borgs, and then Packled yeah. ships got added, and Silicone Entity got added, <laughs> Crystalline Entity, some people call it. People love it when we call it the Silicone Entity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It it kind of seems like a free-for-all to me. Yeah, yeah. I think Whale Probe wins every time. It has to, yeah. yeah. I don't think you can assimilate the whale probe. No. You're going to have to go get some fucking whales if you want to beat the whale probe. I know. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? After the theme, we uh, learn about this mission they're on. They're going to transport the Voyager to Starfleet Command for an exhibit. And as we go around Voyager, we see a ton of the locations that we've come to know during our experience of making The Greatest Generation yeah. about Star Trek Voyager. Engage. Really fun. And what I especially love is like all of the camera positions are the same too. Like they're not doing anything different with these locations. They are cartoonified versions of the scenes that we've seen so many times before. Cartoonified and and museumified, like they're setting yeah. this up as like when you go on a tour of I don't know Lincoln's log cabin or or Hyde Park on Hudson or like Miriam Science Museums that have had mannequins wear screen worn uniforms before, you know? Sure, sure. So yeah, there's velvet ropes everywhere and mannequins with the uniforms representing the characters around the ship, and yeah, we see engineering, we see the galley, we see uh, a bunch of really fun-to-see locations, and there's lots of just kind of banter about different wild shit Voyager got into along the way. It's Voyager. Shit got freaky. Rutherford's very interested in Neelix cheese. Rutherford tries to, like, out-nerd Belcho. Yeah. Like, you're not going to out-nerd Belcho. Belcho knows about Neelix cheese. Belcho is a huge nerd, and he's also got that don't touch my action figure collection kind of energy to him. Yeah. Are you chewing gum? Like, he's set this ship up just so, so that I think his idea is that the ship will arrive ready to be displayed immediately once it gets to Earth. Right. 
the Cerritos and Voyager are going to kind of go in tandem while the crew of the Cerritos kind of puts the finishing touches on everything. And Belger has like a bunch of crap that he needs stored on board the Cerritos, which is for a separate exhibit that will be traveling around. So those boxes get thrown to Tendi and Tilen, who are taking them over to Cerritos on a shuttlecraft. But uh, I mean, I was surprised that Tilen let something slip up like this. Like this is a fucking serious ass Vulcan who worked on a Vulcan starship and let the pedal of an orchid go out of vent and, and into the works of the ship. Is this a Forrest Gump reference? <laughs> I kept wanting the way to hear the Forrest Gump around. music. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably probably a little bit outside the budget to license that that needle drop, right? <laughs> Billups is in the transporter room eating a box of chocolates. <laughs> Billups, the Forrest Gump of lower decks. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I really liked the uh, clapback of Doctor Katz. When Phillips starts just kind of idly talking about his boyhood pet. <laughs> that makes so much sense that she's experienced that. Why is it people always have to tell me about their pets? Right. Sorry. It'd be like uh, a bunch of people telling Kayshawn about the interesting metaphors they've heard <laughs> recently, you know? That's got to be so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. When your species is just a, a one note joke, it has to suck. I mean, it's... It's sort of like when we meet a stranger and they learn about what we do. Like, all they want to do is talk about podcasting or Star Trek. Like, right. we're more than just Star Trek podcasters, right? Right? I mean, you are. I think I'm probably not <laughs> at this point. <laughs> We've really boiled you down to your essence the last few weeks. I, I've been boiled down to my essence, and I've been, you know, like in medieval war, everybody retreats into the castle keep, and they just let the let the fields go to seed because uh -huh. uh, this is a siege. Yeah, I've just preserved Star Trek podcaster. Everything else <laughs> is gone and burned. <laughs> Star Trek podcast is your castle keep. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So, no surprise, Billups and Dr. Katz hop on the transporter pad with this orchid blossom that they're not noticing, and they get transported over to Cerritos and appear on the Cerritos in the form of one person. Captain, we have a problem. It's a Tuvix situation. I kept expecting at some point we would see the back of Teillip's head or the back of anyone's head who has made a grotesque combination in the rest of this episode. I was so stressed out about this. Yeah. I was like, when is it going to happen? Am I going to glance away and not notice it? It's like the one thing that needs to happen in this episode for me to feel a sense of satisfaction didn't happen. There's like that moment... Like, you know when you've seen a movie with, with, like, one scene in it that horrifies you? It doesn't make it a horrifying movie. It doesn't make it a horror movie, but it's, like, the thing that sticks with you. Yeah. The back of Tuvix's head in the episode Tuvix is a moment I'll never forget. It's like watching the horse get ground up by the fairy in that movie, The Ring. Like, oh, yeah. I'll never forget how I felt seeing that moment. I was going to say it was like the eye getting sliced in Un Chien Andalou. <laughs> Right. It's like watching a live squid being consumed in Old Boy. <laughs> it's like Dirk Diggler taking it out at uh -huh. the end of Boogie Nights. I am a big, bright, shining star. It's like any single moment in The Hangover. <laughs> it's like any single moment in Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> So uh, Freeman is on FaceTime with Belcho and everybody over on the Voyager. And she's like, oh, okay, like, we'll fucking figure it out. Like, Tillips is obviously, like, not a character that we're super concerned about. And I'll figure out how to fix this based on whatever Janeway did. So uh, just send me over her logs and, uh, and we'll get this sorted. My taste buds are definitely happy to have him around. Okay, I've got an idea for the Belcho effects that I just thought of. In Desperado, Steve Buscemi's character tries to remember the name of uh, 
of Bucho, <laughs> and I think he auditions a couple of names that sound like bitch. <laughs> and then when someone in the room gets it right, he says, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think that can be done here. <laughs> okay. That's a good pitch. That's what it was. Bucho. Boimler's kind of like distracted, and it sort of seems like his character need is for this mission to not be historically significant so that when he fucks up, inevitably it doesn't cost him his promotion. This is a historically significant mission. It's ploy, man. I mean, it's not that historically significant. What? It's such an unusual energy for him because the try-hardness about Boimler that is really, like, essential to his character is gone completely. And without that, he's almost not a character at all. Yeah, there was, like, an interesting tension between those two things where... It seems later part of what was guiding his decisions was not wanting to fuck his relationship with Mariner up. And I feel like those two things are kind of working in opposite directions. So yeah, he sort of disappears for a lot of this episode. It made me wonder if Boimler is a little underwritten as a character, if that's all he is. Right. I mean, he's that plus the scream that he has when, ah, macrovirus. Yeah. Yeah, among the many callbacks to Voyager episodes is the giant facefucker virus that jumps out of a panel. Also, like, let's talk about the shambles that Voyager is. Yeah. Like, panels are just falling off all over the place. Yeah, Beltro Tweakle didn't do a great job of conserving yeah. and preserving this ship. And so, yeah, every time somebody, like, bumps their fist against a panel or whatever, it'll just fall away. And now he's pissed that, like, virus goo is getting all over his ship. No one seems concerned about Boimler's face, which is about to get fucked (laughs) by this virus proboscis. Yeah. And uh, a couple of viruses, like, zip off down the hall. And, you know, we know these viruses. They just multiply willy-nilly. Ransom, how about taking responsibility for a really bad order here? He's like, Boimler, block the door. Yeah. Lock the gates! <laughs> and like, Boimler starfishes his arms and his legs out to block this door. You're not going to block the face fucker virus from getting past. This is why Boimler is in Starfleet and not the NHL. Yeah, yeah. He needs the giant hockey stick. Yeah. Hey, Cheetahs don't deserve nothing in Latinum. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. 
We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. We go to Six Bay and, um, you know, get the breakdown of what a Tuvix is from some random not Dr. Katz doctor. And even in the scans, they don't even show to Illups in profile so that you can see what the back of the head looks like. I know. It's just driving me absolutely crazy. It's real back of the head erasure yeah. in an episode like this. Doesn't anyone see that this is wrong? Yeah, it's like sometimes Lower Decks has the courage of just like absolutely roasting Star Trek for a silly thing that happened in the past. And other times it sort of feels like it's apologia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder if by the time we end up seeing Prodigy Season 2, if Rock Talk's mouth is just going to be fine again, like yeah. nothing ever happened. Or if Rock Talk ever shows up on Lower Decks and Rock Talk's mouth is not weird looking. Yeah. You know? I do know. Yeah, to Ellipse is, uh, you know, hanging out in, in the Six Bay. This was also an interesting moment when Shax asks what to Ellipse remembers about, like, physical things that have happened between Dr. Katz and Shax. You know, <laughs> Billups is famously, like, an ace character, so... That felt like something that would be like either an existential crisis for Teillips or something that would be kind of interesting to see how Teillips deals with. The Shaq's Dr. Katz relationship isn't a secret, is it? No, like but- Like the I, way he asks this question is real down low. Yeah. Maybe it's just that Shaq doesn't want Billups to know like the, the true nature of it because- Right. They have a, a public facing component of their relationship, but behind closed doors, who fucking knows, man? Yeah, I mean, th if I were to ask a question like, do you remember anything about a physical relationship you might have had? It's a lot different from like, do you remember the total fuck fest we were <laughs> <laughs> on just about every occasion we had downtime? Right, right. Meanwhile, these viruses are just rampaging around the ship. We see the like animatronic evolution salamander display that's going to be part of the the exhibits when you get to walk around on the Voyager Museum and like a bunch of deep cut holodeck characters get brought out out of deep storage, I guess. And there's there's hollow projectors all over the ship now, which is something something that Belcho added. Yeah. Bocho. It makes sense in Belcho's world. Right. That this would be how it is, but it's not a fun time when Chaotica, the clown, and Michael Sullivan appear. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're all threatening in their own ways, right? Yeah, yeah. It's too bad Chakotay wasn't in this episode to see Michael Sullivan and think back on all of the boner trauma he experienced at the expense of Michael Sullivan's wife getting erased. I know. I miss my wife. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a virus that has Harry Kim's clarinet impaled into it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think they ever say that that's Harry Kim's clarinet. It's like an if you know, you know joke. Yeah, yeah. It's visual only. Yeah. But would it suggest that like someone fought off one of these viruses with it, like using it as a melee weapon? Yeah, or did the... or like threw it like a, like a javelin? <laughs> yeah, love that. So this one goes back behind Seven's charging pads and knocks one over on Belcho Tweakle. And comes out with nanoprobes, like, embiggened and clamped onto it. So now this is a Borgified macrovirus, and it starts going around nanoprobe tubuling the ship. I wasn't aware that Seven's charging stations were like a row of vending machines that could just fall over like this. <laughs> I know. But they sure are. When bangers happen, like, Seven better fucking hope she's not charging. I know, I know. I love the kit batch of these stories, right? The idea that these viruses could be assimilated and turned into Borgs that flourish throughout the ship is great. So the Janeway defenders will be very upset with this episode because basically everybody agrees that what Janeway did was was wanton murder. <laughs> yeah. And Captain Freeman has a meeting with Shax about this where she's like, yeah, I can't fucking do what Janeway did. That's fucked up. Holy shit. Janeway didn't mess around. She's like, we better find Tillips before they find out what Janeway did to Tuvix. And it's like smash cut to Tillips reading about what Janeway did to Tuvix and realizing that uh, he needs to take hostages. And so <laughs> calls McGlimo down to his quarters to uh, which quarters do you think Tillips is staying in? We don't know. Oh, shit. I mean, I would guess Billups because of the transporter that he makes in the quarters. Right, right. Yeah, so <laughs> Maglimo comes down and is, I guess, like at knife point behind the bed when Freeman and Shax show up. We just want to talk, Mr. Tillips. I don't think so. You're going to kill me. And Tillips, Tuvix's Maglimo and the captain into one character. That is just a... Noun, verb, adjective combination that no one could have predicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th this character is like immediately on Tillips's side. Like, let's let's start Tuvixing everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the contrast in feeling. Like, we get to extremely dangerous in this episode very fast. Right off of the heels of like when when Voyager and the Cerritos go separate ways, Freeman's like, yeah, Janeway solved this problem without any issues at all. Like, I'm not concerned about it. To go from that into, oh, my God, what did Janeway do? To, oh, my God, what is going on on this <laughs> ship in such rapid succession? Like, I don't know if you've had this experience watching Lower Decks the way I did today, but like, I can't write fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> the plot yeah. points and the comedy is coming so fast out of this show. It's really impressive. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's been the way since season one of this show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're uh, they're making more hybrids in the transporter room, kind of creating an army of, of Tuvixes. And meanwhile, the deep cut holograms and the viruses are going around rampaging, gluing people to walls, using the virus goo. Boimler comes in like rescues Mariner who's glued in. Whoa, some of this stuff got in my mouth. I'm getting you out of here. He confesses about uh, the promotion and he's like, yeah, this is why I've been acting weird. I'm like worried about this promotion and that like, it'll be like the Titan and our friendship will suffer. And I just, I don't want that. I'm going to reject the promotion. A Mariner's like, that's stupid. I actually suggested to Ransom that you deserved it. You should totally do this. It's what you want. Is this a pip talk <laughs> Mariner gives him? Damn. Yeah, I guess it is. I think so. Anyway, it's, it's so inspiring that Mariner's left there. 
Boimler goes off to save the day. Yeah. If he can. And meanwhile, Tilin and Tendi are like sneaking around watching all of this Tuvixination happening. And they realize that this is a bad deal for the ship and that if, if a Tuvix army takes over, uh, there's nothing anyone will be able to do. So Tilin Tuvixes the Tuvixes right into the brig. It goes from hilarious combinations of crew people to the scene in Alien Resurrection when there's like a chamber with a very Harry Ripley in it. Like, it's so disturbing, this meatball they've got in there. Things are no longer funny at this point. <gasps> you combined all of them into one big Tuvixie meatball? Yes, who's back? Come on, everybody, green pork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, at this point, I put my fork down and pushed my lasagna away from, <laughs> from me on the TV table. Just a horror show after this. Boy, I apologize. My hormones are going nuts. On the bridge, the Borged Salamander characters and the viruses and the holograms uh, have taken control of Voyager and are piloting it toward a nearby Borg's cube, which apparently is just flying around nearby and (laughs) is otherwise not a threat. Hard to know what that (laughs) Borg's cube is doing out there. Yeah. And why it's so close by. Maybe they're just like the whales of space. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like you leave them alone, they leave you alone. I mean, this is also before Picard season three. So it's like, who cares? Like they're not that big a deal. Yeah, not at all. It's fine. Maybe that's the artifact. Yeah. 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 Before it crashed into a beachhead. Right. (laughs) Kind of destroyed a lot of Borg ships on Star Trek Picard, didn't we? Yeah, it was like... In retrospect. Mm-hmm. It was to Borg's ships what Broken Arrow was to helicopters. Hmm. Nice Kayshawn. <laughs> so calm. His eyes uncovered. The greatest trek is yet to come. So Boimler winds up finding Rutherford and rescuing him, but not Ransom or Kayshawn, who are mad at Boimler for not taking the half a second it would take to phaser them down from being glued to the wall. No time. I need an engineer. You really better be sure you're right if you're Boimler here (laughs) and not taking Ransom down. Yeah. And so he needs Rutherford to help him break Voyager and they're like crawling through Jeffrey's tubes and Rutherford hits on an idea but does not reveal what that idea is just yet. At the same time, Tendi and Teelin are doing some work in the six bay where Teelin smashes Steve Stevens's balls so hard. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it in all of Star Trek (laughs) because the setup to the ball smashing is like, how are you able to tell like what is distinct in this meatball? And Tendi's like, well, their personalities are obviously distinct. And Teelin is like, but I can't tell the difference between Steve Stevens and one of those stupid whales. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ouch. Oh, absolutely brutal, Stevens. Yeah, yeah I guess Ellipse was messing with a tricorder in an earlier scene, and that is the thing that enables them to scan for personality. Yeah, yeah. That was, like, barely established. <laughs> right. Like, I saw the thing in his hand and, like, the, like, wire sticking out of it, but I didn't feel like they said anything about it. Maybe they did but it just goes by so fast. It's maximum story efficiency here, for sure. Yeah. By the end of the scene, you understand that like it's the combination that's going to solve this problem, right? Identifying the personality and the genetic codes. Yeah, the DNA plus the personality will let them unmux the Tuvix meatball and bring everyone back. And it's like not even really murder at this point because the meatball's not sentient. The meatball can't beg to be spared. Each of you... He's going to have to live with this. I think that's a crucial aspect to this episode. Like, you see the meatball, and it's just kind of writhing around. It's it's mouths and legs and meat. Yeah. Like, it, it does not have any opinions. If the meatball managed to get out the phrase, this is wrong, everybody would be like, I don't know. It's like kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Like... <laughs> You exist in defiance of God's will, Tuvix Meatball. (laughs) We can talk about this at the end, maybe, or maybe we can talk about it now. But, like, are we supposed to be okay 
with Tuvik's meatball dying? I guess like Talyn is the one character on the ship that sort of agrees with the Janeway hypothesis about how you deal with the Tuvix. Yeah. And Tendi has been against it up until the meatball moment. Right. And maybe that's what Janeway should have done. She should have Tuvixed a bunch more characters until it was a meatball and then hit rewind. And then it's not murder. <sighs> Meatwad, what do you think? My just... The thing about the Tuvix meatball is that it's all the back of Tuvix's head mm-hmm. on all of it. <laughs> it's it's just as repulsive as that on every surface. Like if the trolley is trundling down the track and you can switch it over onto the track that kills the meatball or onto the track that kills eight or ten crew members, one of which is a horny whale. I want a fish. Mm. You're going to kill the meatball every time. You're going to kill the meatball. <laughs> A Tuvix meatball is a combination of four or more characters from the bridge crew of a Star Trek ship. And also veal. (laughs) (laughs) Many people say that's why morally it's okay to untuvix a meatball. By using a binding agent like egg or breadcrumbs, <laughs> you can combine the DNA and personalities of multiple crew people on Voyager. So Boimler and Rutherford show up on the bridge to confront the botly crew of viruses, holodeck characters, and animatronics that are running the ship. Yeah. He has to kind of like embody the, the role of Captain Proton's Nepo baby to get Chaotica to stand down. And this kind of is just about buying them time for the Neelix cheese to do its work. It's really Neelix cheese ex machina in this episode. <laughs> Ugh. Get the cheese to sick bay. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. That was a first season Voyager episode. Can you believe that? What? That's a deep ass cut. Damn. I would have guessed second or third earliest. Bioneural gel packs do not agree with this cheese. Yeah. Yeah, Neelix cheese is like pouring out of panels left and right. It's a plan that saves the day. Because we cut right over to Earth, and the Voyager grand opening is underway here. Yeah, and uh, it looks like a real nice event. People are going up and down, respecting the velvet ropes inside the Voyager, not touching the exhibits. Yeah, yeah, good job by them. Rutherford and Boimler get their own part of the exhibit. They've made history. Yeah. They're a positive part of the story of Voyager. Amazing. Using its Neelix cheese against its other inbuilt threats to the existence of the ship. Pretty great. Yeah. We get a little promotion ceremony where Boimler gets his pip, now unburdened of the worry that Mariner's going to be mad at him or they're not going to be friends after their different ranks. T. Lynn gets promoted to, like, what, acting ensign or something something similar? Provisional ensign to Lynn. Well, she's got the bar pip and not the corn pip. Yeah. Mmm, corn. That kind of looks like the kind of pip that the Maquis on Voyager have, right? Maquis? Yeah, I think it's because she's uh, an honorary crew person right. instead of maybe the full deal. But she still gets re-pipped along with uh, Tendi and finally Mariner. Yeah. What did Mariner do? Mariner is shocked to find out that she's getting promoted. Congratulations, Lieutenant. I was shocked also. And uh, not happy about it. She she storms into Ransom's office to complain about it, and it sort of takes on uh, the role of being the new way Ransom is going to make Mariner's life miserable. <laughs> I really like the depiction of a manager who makes subordinate success all about them. Yeah. (laughs) This side of Ransom is so familiar, like the vanity of this, that he's not doing it because Mariner did a great job. It's because Mariner proved so difficult to promote over the course of her career. It reflects well on Ransom to have promoted her in this way. Yeah. I also think he truly believes that Mariner like could have a viable career, but like it's way more about 
how it looks to him. Yeah, and how he thinks he's way smarter than all the other first officers in the fleet who yeah. promoted and then demoted her. Exactly. Consider yourself lucky that you have an amazing commanding officer. Mariner grudgingly accepts this, and we have our end of episode hang in the bar, and Boimler kind of talks Mariner into looking at this on the bright side. Like, you're not going to live in the bunk bed hallway anymore. Maybe, maybe things will be better for us from now on. Yeah. Famous last words. They got the smallest bump possible. Just the the key bump of rank <laughs> upgrades here. And like the agreement at the table is like stuff isn't going to change for them too much. And they're all going to be together at this increased rank. So it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. I can't wait to see what their quarters look like. Oh. I bet they're great. I bet they're fine. Maybe they aren't right next to the shower. <laughs> And we get an epilogue in this episode. Go to Klingon Space, and it's those lower deckers from Wedge Dudge again. I know. I know. I I hope they live forever. (laughs) Nope. RSVP those guys. Yeah. A mysterious ship takes them out. This ship's familiar to you, right? Doesn't it look like a familiar? It does look familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't either. And I hope this isn't infuriating a bunch of FODs, but I couldn't place it. Don't write us letters. We watch so much Star Trek, it's really hard to keep track of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. This thing fucking vaporizes the spur of prey. Yeah. Blows it to bits. And that's the end of the episode. Did you like this episode, Adam? I loved this episode because it's Lower Decks, and I love Lower Decks. But I thought a lot about whether or not this would be a good first episode of Lower Decks for someone who hadn't seen it before. Hmm. And the answer to that question is no. Huh. I think it's because of the Boimler character. He's such a a nothing throughout the entire episode until finally just sort of waking up and becoming a nerd about uh, Dr. Chaotica and that whole holodeck program. Like, I think this is an episode that is dependent on a lot of Lower Decks foreknowledge to really enjoy. And that's why I loved it as much as I did. Yeah. But man, I don't know if you can jump in on season four if you've never seen Lower Decks before and like really get the full benefit of what it's doing because it is like a super soaker of comedy and plot. It's two super soakers. No, <laughs> it's that super soaker with, with the two chambers on top that oh. are like mixing and shooting out the one pipe. Damn. <laughs> That's what Lower Decks is right now in, in comedy and plot. And every Star Trek fan should see it, but they should see it from the beginning is what I would say. Like this is a, a fourth season that I think benefits from from having been on the journey all the way here. Yeah. What do you think? I I think that's an interesting point. Like the to the extent that there are main characters in an ensemble cast, I think they're Boimler and Mariner. And I think that Boimler and Mariner both feel sidelined and R- Rutherford and Tendi also kind of feel sidelined. Like Well, I mean, how often have we been told that, yeah, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but I never really watched Voyager until I started listening to Greatest Gen. Yeah. Like I bet there are a lot of Star Trek fans out there who maybe don't get what's going on in this episode. <laughs> and and I think this is maybe the the one Lower Decks episode that leans so heavily on a specific incident in the past that I think you might be completely lost during if you don't have that yeah. grasp. Like, but Tuvix is really famous among Star Trek fans. The bar trivia episode of last season, like with all those exhibits and stuff, was like, so diverse in its trivia that it was spread across all of Star Trek. But this is like concentrated on one moment (laughs) in time in such a way where like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. But I got it and uh, I really liked it. I did too. I I laughed out loud many, many times in this episode. I think from a just like hitting on the comedy standpoint, this is one of the funniest Lower Decks episodes I can think of. And Yeah. um, It's really great. Yeah. So, uh, really glad it's back and uh, excited to see what this season has in store. And I'm also excited to see what the Priority One Message Inbox has in store for us, Adam. Let's see what 
hasn't been taken over by clowns and romantic Irishmen. <laughs> I love you, but I can't be with you. Ooh, I like this guy, though. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Then our first priority one message is from Dina. Dina from New Jersey. And it's to Mark from Old Jersey. The message goes like this. Happy birthday. I know you hate presents, so I threw some scarves at this dumb podcast we both enjoy, even though it took you 15 months to respond to my message asking if you were a friend of DeSoto. Oh, shit. Jeez, I would have thought I'd have been ghosted. Yeah, no kidding. If I didn't get a response until 15 months later. <laughs> message goes on, wishing you many more years of kitty snuggles, silly limericks, kayaking, coffee, and actual brain science. I have been and always shall be your friend. Wow. I love that uh, Old Jersey and New Jersey have friendships being formed across the pond. You don't text me back after uh, 15 days. Our friendship's over. <laughs> 15 months. Good Lord. That's some patience. Maybe Mark sent the, uh, the response text by steamer ship or something like that. I could see that. Yeah. Got becalmed. And Mark's busy. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Adam, our next priority one message is from Colin, and it's to Adam and Ben, and it goes like this. I'm surprised you guys didn't comment on the wild dress badges that the crew of Strange New World wore on Season 2, Episode 2. I loved them. Also, you should definitely IMDB the actor for General Garcog in Subspace Rhapsody. See you at the STL show. If you have the time, the restaurant Balkan Treat Box cannot be missed while in the city. Did we not mention that that was Bruce Horak as General Garcog? I thought for sure we did. I think we did. Maybe it got edited out of the show. Did we also not mention the fleet commander badge that uh, Pike wore in that episode? I think these are things that we touched on. What speed are you listening to this show, Colin? <laughs> Maybe there's something really crunchy in the uh, bento boxes from this Balkan restaurant mm. that uh, Colin was crunching on and, and just missed parts of the show. Maybe Wendy edited out a bunch of stuff after the QA that we approved. Make us seem like And made fools. us look like idiots. Oh! <laughs> God, she always does this. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we didn't say that. But good points all around, Colin. Who knows? Yeah. If you'd like to get a priority one message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set yours up today. We'd sure appreciate it. It helps us keep the lights on around here. You know what I'm saying? It gets you through my social media filter that blocks out every mention of, I'm surprised you guys didn't. <laughs> True that. Colin got one past the goalie. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? Yes, I did. Uh, one of the scenes in the little montage establishing all the locations on Voyager was characters bringing a chef Neelix mannequin into Neelix's galley and setting it up. And another guy has like a big pot of Neelix food that he's putting up on the counter and takes a big whiff of it. And it looks like he's going to think it smells good, but then he does not think it smells good. And it's just a little a little silent joke, but that character made me laugh a ton and uh, really liked it. Yeah, that was great. Great moment. I mean, I think this is one of those episodes that's going to reward repeated viewing for that reason, because like your attention is paid to the central characters in the composition yeah. naturally. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that uh, rewards some scrutiny. How about yourself? Did you have a Larkin on this episode, Adam? I mean, I think Teillips is my Edward Larkin. Like, <laughs> he just bit off a little too much, right? Like, I think he could have made the case for living if he didn't take hostages. Right, right. That's just a step too far. But in doing that, I think it also gets you off the hook if you're breaking the story and like trying to avoid the impossible conclusion of the original Tuvix episode, you know? Like, right. we can't do that again. <laughs> how do we write ourselves out of that direct course? I right. think that's how right. you do it, is you make 
to Ellipse's circumstance way worse and you have him commit crimes and be lethal in a way that Tuvix was not. Mm -hmm. Tuvix was so gentle that it made his death like the tragedy that it was in the way that the meatball's death doesn't come close to you. No one grieves the meatball. Be to Ellipse, do crime. Buried in a grave marked meatball. <laughs> I will quote the uh, the final comments in the movie JFK just wherever I can. <laughs> it's up to you. I'm so stupid. <laughs> right, Adam. Well, uh, that was our review of episode one of season four of Lower Decks. Hey, mm. let's talk about uh, the writer of this episode, Mike McMahon. Yeah. And uh, all of the great work that the actors did on this episode and how much they deserve to be fairly compensated for their work. As of this recording, we're hearing that uh, some negotiations seem to be happening again uh, amidst the actors and writers strikes. So we're... Yeah, but you know what good faith is? Good faith is not negotiating and then making the particulars of those negotiations public once uh, they're rejected by the Writers Guild, which is what happened here at the time of this recording. Yeah, like the AMPTP keeps like asking for media blackouts and then being the one that routinely violates them. And it's just like, stop, like, stop being cartoon villains, you fucking assholes. Yeah. Yeah. How dumb do you think we are? We're not. (laughs) And the strike remains and is stronger than ever because of this bullshit. Yeah, so we you know really hope for the best for um, these unions as the negotiations proceed, and would definitely encourage people to consider heading to Friends of Desoto for Labor dot com and uh, contributing to the Entertainment Community Fund there. Seven thousand dollars raised at the time of this recording, Ben. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, it's really easy to do. Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, Venmo, or credit cards, all accepted to support the striking entities against the AMPTP. Adam, why don't you uh, pull up a warning bois and share it with the folks? Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, warning bois are so important to both attract new viewers to Greatest Trek and also repel those who just wouldn't get our deal. That's why we read Warning Boys at the end of every episode of Greatest Trek. And here's one from Twitter or whatever it is now. <laughs> Brian Anonymous on Twitter has sent a message to you, Ben. Really? Ben Actual that goes like this. I hope you're here to see this. Chekhov's Gorn was a gem of a joke and deserves formal recognition. Fucking A. Trophy emoji, fist bump emoji, Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> CCing Greatest Trek, CCing Cut for Time, my Twitter handle. Yet another great joke by you that I might have chuckled at. <laughs> I don't know why you have me as a co host. <laughs> I'm the least generous laugher in the business. Chekhov's Gorn, maybe the high watermark of my work overall, though. So, you know. Brian Anonymous on Twitter giving you the recognition you deserve, a recognition that I couldn't possibly. <laughs> In the moment. (laughs) That was for our season finale episode for Strange New Worlds. Oh, man. Great episode and a great season. Yeah. Thank you, Brian Anonymous, for uh, for that shout out. I uh, I scarcely deserve it. Well, you're not getting it from me, so you deserve it from Brian Anonymous. People that enjoy the show going online and saying why they like the show in a way that captures the vibe of the show. It's a great way for our show to grow and find new viewers. So we really appreciate it. Hey, growth is survival for podcasts, especially now. So thanks for getting the word out. Yeah. Thanks to everyone listening. Hey, if you're in London, UK, or can get there by tomorrow, we are going to be performing at the London Podcast Festival. It's our Star Trek V movie review. It's called the Share Your Embarrassment Tour, Adam. I'm so fucking excited that we're going to be in London performing this show. I can't believe it. It's (laughs) It's <laughs> my travel there and back is so stupid. I I don't know what version of me is going to be performing at that show, but it's going to be one to remember. Yeah, it's going to be great. By everyone else except for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have someone else tell me about it. Yeah. 
I'm super pumped and Me can't too. wait. Um, hey, listen to the credits and you may learn something about next week's episode of Lower Decks. Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Ben and Adam are going to be back in your feed on Tuesday next week with a recap of Season 4, Episode 2, I Have No Bones, Yet I Must Flee. Then they'll be back again on Friday next week with coverage of Episode 3. Extra episodes are made possible thanks to the MaxFun members who support this show on a monthly basis. We really appreciate everybody who does that at MaximumFun.org slash join. You can set it up in just a few minutes and you'll get instant access to a ton of great bonus content. Thank you to Adam Ragusia. He composed all of the original music for this show. You can check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thank you to Nick Titmore for creating the show art. And thank you to Bill Tilly for managing all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Threads, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to connect with other friends of DeSoto online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun. A workaround network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.